I suppose it's still appropriate to say Merry Christmas. Wow, Kevin, it is bright up here, isn't it? This is something. Um, so, as Kevin said, my name is Aaron. Aaron Clark, some of you know me, some of you don't. But um, I am on the Elder Council at Westside. And, but I've, I've really enjoyed being here and being around and meeting some of you and, and uh, getting to know a few of your kiddos. That's been a joy. Um, I have a better half, a much better half, my wife Grace. And uh, we have two college-age kids, and that's probably enough about me. So why don't, we, uh, why don't we pray and we'll get started. Father, you are the awesome God of all creation. Lord Jesus, the Scripture says that, um, that you created all things, and that all things were created through you. And uh, as we celebrate this season, that you would come to earth. We are, we are so blessed by that. And I would make two requests of you this morning, Lord. I would ask that the people here among us that that know you as their Savior would, as we open your word, would come away with a, uh, a more in-depth understanding of your love for us, that we would know you better in that. And Father, for that person this morning that does not know you, I pray that today might be the day of salvation for them. And I pray, Father, that, that, uh, that as you work in their heart, Lord, that they would be pliable, that they would be willing, Father, to bend their knee to you. And we just ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I have the sniffles, so if, uh, if I sniffle, bitter with me. I was excited when Kevin asked me to preach this morning. I like to do this. It's a lot of fun. Uh, and he said I could speak on anything I wanted to speak on. And initially, that sounded like a lot of fun. I could do anything I wanted. But then when you realize the amount of stuff there is, you, uh, Kevin, next time, just give me something. That'd be, that'd be better. Just assign me. Now, we are right after Christmas, and with that comes a celebration of, of, uh, of Christ being born, that, that Jesus would come to earth, that he would give up heaven and come to earth to walk among us, not, that's, not so he could know us better, but that so we could know him better. is the greatest gift ever given to man, that God would become flesh and walk among us. And, of course, it's a great time with family and friends, and as Kevin was saying, we all ate too much, and that's all good fun. But as I was reading through the scripture, um, trying to decide what to speak on this morning, and I began to read the 17th chapter of John, the Gospel of John. And I began to reflect on, on why it was that Jesus came. Just specifically, why did he come? And I thought we might spend some time in this great gospel. So if you have a, a text with you, um, it's John chapter 17. Now, there's no PowerPoint, and don't think that the guy is missing it. I'm, I'm pretty old school, and I, I never use one. I'm the guy that thinks that the Internet isn't going to last, so I don't, I don't get all tied up in that stuff. So uh, you'll just have to listen along. But let me ask you a question this morning. Who are the great prayers in your life? Who are the people that you know that pray well? Who are, who are the people, who is the person you know that when they speak, it is like God is just physically present with you? It's so evident these people know to whom they are speaking. There's a familiarity that they have with God that we, we really admire and long for. And I've had a lot of good fortune in my life that know men and women who were great prayers. One of the men that comes to mind is a man named Fred Heidel. And I don't know if any of you know Fred. Fred's gone to be with the Lord now. His wife Ruth and he are both gone. But Fred was this awesome man of God, and he was a friend of my mother and father-in-law's. And Fred was, Fred was born in, in Germany, and he migrated, immigrated to the U.S. 
as a small boy, and he grew up in Southern California, and he, he call of God was on his life, and he wanted to go to seminary, but he wanted to go to seminary in his native tongue, in his home tongue. So he went to um, he went to Germany to uh, to go to seminary there. And uh, problem was, is he got to Germany in August 1939. Now, can anybody in the room under the age of 30 tell me what happened in September of 1939? No history buffs. Hitler invaded Poland in 1939, and World War II started. And Fred Heidel spent all of World War II as a U.S. citizen in Berlin. And with his involvement in the underground church there, with his marriage to his wife, Ruth, who had to give up her German citizenship to marry him as they went before the Nazi authorities to be married, it gave him this incredible breadth of understanding of who God was. It, uh, he, he had, there was an earnestness with which he prayed that was captivating. And I didn't know him super well. I mean, I, I talked with him and knew him. I, I actually interviewed him once. But it was just, he was just amazing to listen to. And the reason I remember him is because of how he prayed. Prayer is hard work. It's a bit of a mystery that, that God would call us to that. But there is no doubt, as you read the scriptures, that prayer is a powerful thing. It is important. God desires us to participate in it. And we have a great example of, of God praying for the disciples, of God praying for us in the 17th, cha- 17th chapter of John. So we're going to read that. If you have a text, I would ask you to follow along. If not, it's going to be up here, I think. If not, we'll be good. But I'd ask you to stand as we read God's word. Um, you wouldn't mind, that'd be great. John chapter 17. After this, Jesus said, he looked toward to heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. And I am coming to you, Holy Father. Protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one just as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am not of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. 
For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who would believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And though and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. Father, I pray that you bless the reading of your word. You may be seated. This chapter begins with Jesus speaking about his authority, about the authority he has because, because of his relationship with God the Father, because he is God. That Jesus is the one who gives us eternal life to those whom the Father has given him. That Jesus and the Father glorify each other, and that we may know the Father through the Son, and that they, along with the Holy Spirit, are God. And Jesus shares with us what it means to have eternal life, that man might know God on a personal level, that we could have our sins forgiven, and that that work would be completed by Jesus' coming death on the cross, which is what he is preparing the disciples for as he praises. I would add, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior this morning, this is the most important thing this morning for you. That there is a God in heaven who knows your name. That there is a God in heaven who loves you and wants, your, wants you to come to him in faith, to have your sins forgiven, that you would enjoy salvation and eternity with him. And Jesus stands ready, willing, and eager to do that for you this morning. So don't miss that if you don't know him. But Jesus continues to pray in verse 6 for the disciples, that these disciples were given to him by God the Father, that they had been obedient to God's word, that they had come to recognize that Jesus came from God the Father and believed that he had sent Jesus. Verse 8 says that they knew with certainty, that they knew with certainty, and they were completely convinced. So when we are tempted, you know, it took them a while. When we're tempted in those times in our life when our faith is shallow or our faith is weak, you know, we really have only think about the disciples. I mean, they walked with Jesus and lived with Jesus and were around Jesus all the time. And it took them quite a while. So we need to show each other and ourselves some grace as we go through life. Jesus says here that he's, he's not praying for the world, but he's praying for those that the Father had given him. He recognizes that they had been given the very word of God that they would, and the world would hate them for it. That was the promise that he was making them. However, it's interesting what he doesn't pray for. He doesn't pray that, that, that the Father would take them out of the world. He didn't pray that the burden of the world and the difficulties of the world would be lifted from them, but rather that they would have strength to be able to endure it. But Jesus changes focus slightly in verse 20, and he also includes in his prayer that those who would believe in, his, in him through the message of his disciples and to our good fortune, he's talking about us. As Jesus prays, the Father tells him exactly what he wants for his church and his people. He approaches the Father in prayer, asking the things for you and I that he knew we would need above all else. And the first thing he mentions what he, is that he wants us to be unified. 
in the same way that Jesus is unified with the Father, that his people would have the same kind of unity that Jesus has with the Father. Jesus speaks the importance of unity six times in this passage we read. Unity in the church is an unbelievably beautiful thing, and it's an unbelievably important thing. It's also an unbelievably difficult thing. All churches will struggle with it at some point or another. Every church gets to struggle with that at some point. Because this unity is not simply that we would all get along, that we would be nice with one another, but that we would really love one another in the way that we love ourselves. That there would be an intentionality regarding our oneness, regarding our our togetherness. And Jesus prays that that unity would give a glimpse of the glory associated with God, the glory that is God, that it would give a glimpse to the world. Practically speaking, it's hard to do that. It's, it's hard because we are enamored and caught up with ourselves. We often look at the church as uh, unity in the church, as like I said, is just being nice and getting along. We think that because we go to the same church or because we have the same set of beliefs or because we work on a committee with one another or just because we don't fight with one another, that, that we have unity. But the unity of God is not that. The unity of God is a oneness. The scripture teaches that God exists in three persons. He exists in Father, Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And those three persons make one God. It's how close the unity of the Godhead is. And I don't know, it's such a difficult thing to talk about. It's such a difficult thing to explain because it's a supernatural thing. And some of this we take on, we take by faith. I've heard all the analogies, you know, the, the analogies that people use in the natural world to try to explain what the Godhead is. But... None of them, all of them fall short because, because the unity of God is a beautiful supernatural thing. It's very difficult for us to understand. And yet this is the unity. This is the togetherness. This is the oneness that God's talking about for his people and his church. Jesus prays that we would be unified, that we would love each other so, that we would care for each other so excellently, that the world would see that and know that there is something In the church that is God-breathed, that he would know that God dwells among us by the way we care for one another, by the way we love him. Jesus is praying for believers here, this whole text. But he has a heart for the world. He desires people to come in. That's why he's patient. That's why he hasn't come back. It's so that, that he's patient with us, that he allows for the coming of time to reveal what his church will be. That the world would get to glimpses of what God is like, that people would get glimpses of what Jesus is like by looking at us. What a privilege. What an incredible responsibility that is. Jesus continues in verse 24, praying that he wants us to be with him, that he wants us to see his glory. That is his desire, is that we are with him. The glory that has been his since the foundation of the world. Jesus is praying for us that as we have known the Father through him, that he will continue to make the Father known to us. And that we will have the very love that the Father has for his Son for ourselves. That that is how great the Father loves us. That 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 same love would be ours. That he will and does love us as his sons and daughters. It's an awesome, awesome thing. As I was reading this passage, as I was studying, as I was preparing, it just became, I just started feeling so inadequate. To, to convey the breadth of it. Because you could, you could preach on this prayer of, of Jesus for a long time, forever, 
and not touch its depth. But as we understand that the Scripture is useful, that it is beneficial, that it is God's Word, we believe that it is His revealed Word, we believe that there are no mistakes or inadequacies in it. But that doesn't mean it's always easy to get our minds around. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be real simple to get. But we take this by faith. We understand by faith. Christmas is an awesome time. I love Christmas. I didn't always love it, but I do love it now. We properly celebrate our Savior's birth, but the truth is, as amazing and joyous as Christmas is, Jesus didn't come to be born. Jesus came to die for your sins and for mine. And this prayer, he is, and in this prayer, he is preparing the disciples for a time when he will physically be gone from them. That will happen soon here. And he's preparing them for this. And he is preparing us for the same thing, that we will live lives without the physical presence of Jesus. We are pre- that we would be prepared and united as we live our lives in a world that has promised to hate us and promised to dislike us. And if we go um, the chapter before, Jesus says these two things, again, in preparation for his disciples. He says, he says all this I have told you that, they, that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. And at the end of chapter 16, he says, I told you these things so that you may have peace, but in this world you will have trouble. Trouble is guaranteed for the believer. It is a, it is a promise. You're, you're going to have trouble. And, uh, I, you know, I don't want to be alarmist. It's not, it's not for me to do that. Um, but we are living in dangerous times. No longer is the evangelical believer, the person who puts their trust and faith and hope in Jesus and, the, and his word, no longer is that believer seen as an odd duck. No longer is that believer seen as a quaint person who, who maybe we don't want to be like, but at least upholds the moral integrity of our country. That's gone. People don't view us that way anymore. Society no longer views us that way. We are viewed as dangerous. We are viewed as countercultural to the point of being dangerous. I like to speak, and I get opportunities to do it sometimes. And I was asked a few months ago to speak at a little church in the Lower Valley, and I knew some of the folks there, and, and I, I accepted. I was glad to go. And uh, I got a call a couple of weeks prior from one of the elders of the church, and she told me that um, as we went through, you know, as I gave her the sermon title and all that, that please hold it to 15 minutes because that's about, you know, all we really want to hear. It's about 15 minutes. So that was fine. And I put together a message from the Psalms, and I talked about the difference between, from the Psalms, from God's perspective, of, of the difference between wisdom and knowledge, and how there's a lot of knowledge in the world that is not wisdom. And... And people think that just because people are smart that they're wise. And that's just not true. Wisdom comes from God. It comes from his word. And and there's a lot of political correctness in the world that would seem to make sense. It would seem to be wise and it would seem to be kind and good. But it runs counter to what the scripture says. And so we have to discard it. And so I I spoke about that. I talked about, you know, society. And I spoke about the the importance of the word of God, the reliability 
the fact that we can rely on it, the, the value in the Word of God. I shared the gospel with them. Fifteen minutes on the dot. thought that was pretty good. And I hung around up front in case somebody wanted to pray or chat or whatever. And nobody, nobody came, and that's fine. So they had a coffee fellowship outside. And I, uh, I went out in their fellowship hall there and got a cup of coffee. And I sat there for ten minutes, maybe just short of fifteen. And nobody spoke to me. Not one person spoke to me. So I got up and I left and I went home. About ten days later, two weeks later, that same elder who I'd worked with sent me a letter taking me to task for being too strict in my focus on the Scriptures. The fact that there is a lot of things that the Scriptures don't address, she said, and we have to love people and we have to be caring of people. And and the Scriptures are important, but there's a lot of other things that are equally as important. And we dialogued back and forth. I wrote letters and my wife would read them and then I'd send them because I didn't want to send them that quick. But folks, what that is, is that's a church that doesn't love Jesus. That's a church that doesn't love his word. And they're nice people. And I'm not saying they're not. I mean, I know some of them, grew up with some of them. they're, They're nice folks. Not about not being nice. But they don't revere his word. And, and they would look at the world as being, the wisdom of the world as being equal with that. And it's just not true. Jesus was preparing us as he prayed in that for this time. And this is going to be more. I was thinking of all the churches across the country. And some of them are big. Some of them are great big churches that have huge followings. But don't love God and don't love his word. Things have changed. Jesus knew they would change. They were changing for the disciples. They are changing for us. And he moved, the Holy Spirit moved the Apostle John to write this letter, to to write down Jesus' prayer so that we would have it, that it would be our benefit and our encouragement. Jesus gave us this great example and this great encouragement as he prayed for us because God has all knowledge. And I don't know this for sure, but I think it likely that as Jesus prayed this to the Father, he was thinking of all of us by name. Because that's how our relationship is with him. It's personal. Sure, it's corporate. We, we, we worship together like this, but it's personal. He was thinking of us all because that's how our relationship is. He desires us to be in relationship with him and each other. And he desires this because he loves us beyond all imagination. He wants us to be unified with each other because we live in a dangerous world that will hate us. But at the very end of chapter 16, he says, but, but, take, but have peace because I've overcome the world. I've had the, I have the great privilege of meeting with uh, Kevin and Jim w- once a week and, and praying for many of you, praying for the church, praying for the needs here at Restoration. And I want you to know that you are well prayed for. You have a pastor who loves you and a pastor who wants to pray for you, a pastor who takes that seriously, and that's a precious thing. And I know many of you are dealing with issues that seem incredibly difficult. And at one time or another, we're all going to be there. We're all going to have things in our life that are going to pull at us hard. We're going to have times of fear and frustration and loneliness and hopelessness. Those just come to us. But it's important to recognize when those things come, when those feelings come, that those are not of God. It's not how Jesus desires us to live. They're real, and we need to talk about them. 
But it's not how Jesus would want us to be. Jesus was God in the flesh, and we all know the difficulties of his earthly life. He came, he paid a, he paid a horrendous price for my sin and for yours. Lived a sinless life. Lived in poverty and eventually went to the cross for that. The apostles, all of them were martyred for their faith. None of us have yet suffered to the point of death, but we will have trouble. We will all have trouble, and Jesus wants us to find our solace in him. Our solace should be in him, our comfort should be in him, and with each other, with his church. The church is the only eternal thing on earth. And we should, we should embrace that, love that. So let's carry each other, encourage each other, so that the world would see that we have a God who loves us. Practical thing, I, I suppose. Practical thing um, is, is just church membership. Um, Restoration now has about 20 church members. We're going to have... Um, a, a, a meeting, a congregational meeting, the thirtieth, right, thirtieth of January. Membership is a is an extra biblical thing. It's not in the Bible, but it is a way that we can covenant with one another. That we can we can say that we believe the same things. That we have accountability with each other. That we have a a oneness. It is also a protection for the church. It's a protection for the for the pastor and his staff. It's an important thing, and I would encourage you, if you have not explored membership at Restoration, that you have a look at that. If, you, if you're one of the people that came from Westside and a member there still, I think that could be transferred. But it's an important thing to look at. Kevin would be glad to talk to you. Jim would be glad to talk to you. I'd be glad to talk to you. Anybody would be glad to talk to you. God loves us when we sit and think about the unbelievable love that the Father had for the Son, that God the Father had for Jesus. That that togetherness, that oneness that they have is exactly the thing that they want with us. It is a mind blower. It is an unbelievable thing to think about that. So as we praise him, as the worship team gets ready to come, let me pray and uh, we'll close up. Lord Jesus, we adore you. And we search for words, Lord, to proclaim your goodness and your faithfulness and your graciousness to us. And they are, they, we just don't have them. Because, Lord, you are all things. You existed before the foundation of the world, Lord Jesus. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. All things hold together in you. We are privileged, Lord, to be your children. And we ask, Father, that you would be patient with us as we, as we are patient with one another, as we love one another, and we seek the unity of your church, and we seek our unity before you, Lord, that you would glorify yourself in us and give us witness to a, to a hurting world. And we ask these things in Jesus' name.